The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hi, this is Jerry from Remnant. Let's be honest, this life can be hectic, draining, and downright confusing. My hope is that by listening to this message, your life can be impacted by God's great love for you. And His love will give you wisdom, courage, and strength. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jerry Godsey. talk today about building a home and what that means. And I, I, I hope to give you some tools and some raw materials to build a home with today. Here's all the social media stuff for today. At Jerry Godsey, hashtag building a home, hashtag imperfect family series, and at Remnant Church. Please, please feel free to use your social media through the message. If you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 127. <clears throat> if you don't have your Bible with you, then it will be on the PowerPoint. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. I know we put all the stuff on the PowerPoint. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, especially one that you can write in, because I'm, I'm like a, a note taker when I'm listening to somebody, and so I, the app that I use for my Bible that I carry with me on my phone has the ability to add notes to it. So I want to encourage you to be able to take notes sometimes in the margins of your Bible. That really helps me as I go back and I I'll go back and read a, read a passage and think, oh, I, read the, I heard this before. I heard this message, and here's some things that I thought were important at the time. So it's, it's a good thing to have. Psalm 127. <clears throat> Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it of centuries will do no good. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. So the whole premise of today is that unless God is building your house, you're not building a good house. You're just not. You can't. You're laboring in vain. Okay, so we want to teach you how to let God help you build your house. Let's pray. God, thanks. Father, I pray that you'll help us over the next few moments, God, that you would uh, be with us, that we would hear from you this morning, Father. Thanks, God. Give us a great day. Open our hearts. I pray that the words that come out of me would be direct from you, God. Thanks. Your name, amen. I found this this week. They asked kids a couple of questions about marriage. The first one they asked was, how do you decide who to marry? Alan, age 10, said, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> Alan is my kind of guy. Start them young, teach them. She should, she should keep the chips and dip coming. Alan is going to make some woman miserable someday, I think, at first. He's also going to find out that he has no idea what he's talking about. Kirsten, age 10, said, No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides for you, and then you get to find out later who you're stuck with. Yeah. 
If there is any justice in the world, Kirsten will get stuck with Alan. So what is the right age to get married? Camille, age 10, said, 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. Forever. And she's the one who put it all in caps. And, and, and Freddie, age 6, no age is good to get married at. You've got to be a fool to get married. And all the men wanted to say amen, but they were scared to because their wives are next to them. You've got to be a fool to get married. I hope, I hope somebody intervenes in Freddie's life here soon because that's rough. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, we did a whole series on Nehemiah and the building of the wall, but there's just so much here that really also talks about building a home. We can use to build a home. And so we're going to kind of work our way through the book of Nehemiah real quick, and that's not, a book, that's not something you hear very often on a Sunday morning. Let's work our way through the book of Nehemiah. Hallelujah. No, but we're going to find some things in Nehemiah that will help us. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. These are the memoirs the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. I think it's the way you say it, Hekeliah. In, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th century, or 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Look what he says here in verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, a servant, and he risked his life for the king. And God, as you're going to find out, gave Nehemiah favor to actually go and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. What Nehemiah went through has a big parallel to what we go through in our lives. Because let's be honest, a lot of our homes are broken. Some of our family relationships are broken. They're not the way that God wants them to be. They're not the, way, the best way they could be. And you find relationships that break down, whether it's friendships or family relationships. We all go through these broken parts. Just like Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, we can rebuild our homes. And I need you to hear that today. That there is no such thing as a hope that is irredeemable. That there is no such thing as a relationship that is broken beyond mending. We serve a great big God. We serve a God who is able to do more than we could ask or think. The problem is that we don't always ask. See, there are some steps that are necessary before we begin. These are attitude adjustments that we must make before anything else can happen. Attitude adjustments. First thing you need to do is rebuild what is broken. Rebuild what's broken. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17 but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me, 
and about my conversation with the king. See, Nehemiah had a heart to rebuild what was broken. He wanted to rebuild what was broken. And i got to be honest with you that sometimes when we have a broken relationship, whatever kind it is, the biggest problem is wanting to fix it. We have to have a heart for it. We have to decide we're going to rebuild what is broken. And I know it's not always up to you. It's not always up to you. Sometimes the person that's broken the relationship is fine with it being broken. But you can make steps. You can decide that you're going to, as far as it goes with you, you're going to rebuild what is broken. And you will be amazed at what the Holy Spirit is able to do as a result of that. Here's one thing's for sure, though. If we leave it to chance, nothing's going to happen. You need to be intentional about restoring what was broken. And by intentional, I mean you need to take steps. It's easy for us to sit back and say, well, you know, it's, it's not going well, it's not going well. Uh, we've got to be intentional. So we need to be intentional about rebuilding or about building our families and relationships God's way. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means, but you need to keep first and foremost that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless God is the one rebuilding the house, we're just wasting our time. We're spinning our wheels. Second thing you need to do is overcome discouragement. It's easy to get discouraged. Nehemiah chapter 4. Sanballat was very angry because his mama named him Sanballat. No, it's not what it says. You know, I think I'm a, no, you, none of you have ever thought, well, I should name my kid Sanballat. We thought about a lot of names for our kids. Sanballat was never in the conversation. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. We were rebuilding. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they could make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Senbalat was their, was their enemy, and he was not about to let the Jews win. He wasn't going to let them. He didn't want them to rebuild the wall. So he used the number one tool that people use when they're upset with us, they try to discourage us. They try to knock us down a few pegs. When David goes and, and, and he first sees Goliath, the first person to turn on him was his brother. And he, he, he asks him, he says, with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? You're just a poor little shepherd boy. Get out of here. David said, no, you know what? I'm here because God wanted me here. If people can discourage you, they'll try. You cannot give in to discouragement. Still in Nehemiah 4, verse 6, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites, I actually did that on accident at first, and then I realized that's what it sounded like. Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. When we get busy rebuilding our families, the enemy will try to bring discouragement. 
And you know when the discouragement really hits? Right about the time we're halfway done. You ever notice that? Because when you start, you're all excited. Oh, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then halfway through, you're like, man, this is taking a long time. Man, this, this really is not going well, is it? We just need to finish the work. We just need to keep going. And at some point, you reach the point of no return, right? You reach the point where, okay, I got half the wall built, and if I don't finish it now, I'm going to look stupid. I don't really have the oomph to keep going, but I know I have to. That's where we have to get. We have to get to that, that next level. When our, when our initial enthusiasm is worn off, then we step forward and say, okay, all right. Now it's work. Now let's get in and get our hands dirty and get it done. Before it was fun, now it's work. Your relationships are the same way. You think relationships aren't work? You think you're Alan and just tell her, hey, you know, keep the chips and dip coming? Alan's got a rude awakening coming for him. Look at verse 9 of Nehemiah 4. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Don't make me smack you. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. They're not a whole lot positive being said by the people, is there? We're tired. It's a lot of rocks to move. They're going to come kill us. Here's a problem we have, is that we go talk to people about our issues in our families and our homes, and they don't always give us good advice. Sometimes they see things with their heart, because they love you, but that may not be godly wisdom. That may not be the right thing to do. That may just be their opinion. And remember, opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody has one. And most people don't want to see yours. That is, that is very cleaned up from the original phrase that I learned that you all know, but I'm not going to say it in church. Think about it, though. If you're going to talk to somebody, and, and look, we're good at this. We target people we know are going to tell us what we want to hear. We don't want to keep, we don't want to keep fighting for this family. We want to just give up. Well, you know what, girl? You don't have to put up with that. You just... Just put him in the dust. I cannot believe I did that in public. You just kick him to the curb, girl. And that may sound like, that may sound like great advice. That hits your heart. That's, what, that's right. I'll, I'll, I'll throw all his stuff out, in the fr out the front yard. And turn the sprinklers on. But is that really what God wants you to do? If you, if you are going to go find somebody to speak to about your relationship, and I want to encourage you to be careful about that, by the way. First of all, God sees rule number one. Do not ever talk to somebody of the opposite sex about your relationship. 
Man, you have no business talking to women about your relationship with your wife. Ladies, you have no business talking to men. It's too easy for that to go the other way, isn't it? Oh, it started innocent. We were just consoling each other. Oh, yeah, okay. You probably need to be talking to your spouse. You need to be talking to the person that's hurting, but sometimes you need outside counsel. I get that. So I want to give you, who's giving you the guidance? And you need to ask two questions. Number one, is it godly wisdom? Is it godly wisdom? Does it have the ring of what God would want you to do? And here's one of the ways you, need, you can tell. If it's hard, it's probably God. And if it's easy, it's probably not. That was not godly wisdom. <laughs> Second, does it line up with Scripture? Does what they're saying line up with Scripture? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. We have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words to come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. If somebody comes to you for counsel, before you open your mouth, you need to pray and ask God to give you the right direction. Because if you're just talking out of your feelings and out of your heart, you're probably not giving godly wisdom. I've had, I've had people come and talk to me, Pastor, what do I do? What do I do? And my gut is just to say, do this. But I know that's not what God says. I have to give you wisdom that God gives. And so I pray. The whole time I'm counseling, I'm praying, God, give me, give me the right thing to say. See, a lot of times we say we want God's, God's guidance and God's direction. But really what we're looking for is somebody to tell us what we want to hear. James 1, verse 4 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. You cannot go shopping for the advice you want to hear. If somebody could take you to the scripture and say, here's what God's word says about your situation, and then you go and talk to your friend who isn't a Christian, and they give you different counsel, don't expect anything from God because you're, you're going to be double-minded. If you're a Christian, you need to go to Christians for guidance. Because your non-Christian friends don't understand it. And when you say what, what, what you feel like you should do according to the scripture, it will sound so stupid to them. Because they're not spiritually minded. I could, talk, I could talk to you about crime scene stuff. And I could talk to you, get down into the weeds about all the tests that we use and all the stuff. And you're like, yeah, that sounds crazy. I could also tell you things that weren't true. 
because I know about the stuff and you may not. And it's the same with your job. I mean, you could tell me stuff and they're like, okay, I have no idea if that's true or not. But the great thing about godly counsel is it comes from the, the Bible. It comes from God's word. And there's always a backup. You can't, you can't go shopping. You can't tell these people that, that are not Christians about what God is doing in your heart because they don't, what God is telling you to do because they won't understand it. Well, God says that he hates divorce, so I shouldn't leave him. Wait, wait, what do you mean you shouldn't leave him? But don't, didn't he do this, this, and this, and this? Yeah, he did, but God said, I, God said I need to stick it out. Well, it just doesn't make any sense. We need to recognize when we're discouraged so we can take it to God. Discouragement can sneak up on you. And that's where we're most vulnerable. Recognize when you've lost heart. Recognize when you're in a down spot. And see what God can do for you. Next thing you need to do is gather your tools. This is where it gets to the nitty gritty, so I hope you have a pencil. Gather the tools. You need, before I start any job, I go get the tools. I say that, but I don't always. And then I, I'm right in the middle of something. I, <sighs> I go up at my house and get a screwdriver. Come back out, and I'm doing something. <sighs> I go back in the house and get a different screwdriver. I should just bring all the tools with me all the time. But then that's heavy and I get lazy. It's the same thing. We're going to gather our tools now. What are our tools for building God's house, for building our house God's way? Number one is prayer. Cry out to God for help. Did you think it was going to be anything else other than that? Number one, pray. Nehemiah 4.4, then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. I can imagine myself praying this to God. I have prayed this kind of prayer. I had a guy at work that was just, he outranked me and he was just leading me a dog's life. And I, I prayed every day, Lord, I pray that you would just make his words fall back on him. That he will be embarrassed. And that's not necessarily a godly thing to pray, but it was my heart. Go back in the Psalms, and you, in the, when you read the Psalms, they say, oh, Psalms are so peaceful. There's imprecatory Psalms. Those are the Psalms where David calls fire down out of heaven on his enemies' heads. I like those Psalms. If we want a strong and healthy family, we need God's help. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your children. Be honest with God. Seek his counsel. You've got to spend time in prayer. You have to. If you're not praying, what are you doing? You're like, you're, you're trying to put a car back together without instructions. Next thing, you need people. Stay closely connected to God's family. Nehemiah 4.13 says, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. There is strength in numbers. None of us should be the Lone Ranger. When you're going through troubles, when you're going through a rough time, and look, and I don't mean that you necessarily have to go to them and give them a laundry list of everything that's going wrong in their life. I'll never do that. I, that's not, I, don't, I try not to do that. I do it every now and then. 
you know what? What about going to somebody and saying, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I need you to pray with me. That's good. We can do that. The other person, well, well, can you tell me what's going on? No, that shouldn't be your response. If somebody comes and says, hey, man, I'm struggling. I need you to pray with me. Pray with them. Because here's the interesting thing. God is in control. He knows what's going on. You don't need to. Because sometimes we use prayer requests like a way to gossip. Did you hear about sister so-and-so? Oh, we need to pray for her. Because she is doing this, this, and this, and this. Lord bless her. Hallelujah. Come on. We pass around other, other people's sins like our d'oeuvres on a tray. And it's not necessary. If you're struggling in your family, find somebody you can share it with that's going to give you godly counsel. Let's pray for one another, care for one another, and share one another's troubles. We need people to come alongside us and lift us up when we're weak. Next thing we need is perseverance. Refuse to give up. Hello? Refuse to give up. The reason Lynette and I have been married this long is because we're both too mean to give up. There may be more to it than that, but... Nehemiah 4, verse 14. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who's great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Fight. Don't just give up. It drives me crazy when people just give up. If it's important, fight for it. If it's important, dig in your heels and say, I'm not giving up. Coach football, many of you know that. And I had a kid that we were down by a couple of touchdowns. It was late in the game. And I call timeout. I call my team over. And he's like, this one kid. And he's a good running back. He's a good running back. He goes, Coach, I just don't think we can do this, man. Just, just give up. You know what I did? Took him out of the game. Don't need him. Sorry. Can't, I can't win with you. Told him after the game, I said, if you ever say anything like that again, just turn in your pads, you're done. And he knew he was a good player. He just didn't have any heart. Look, man, if there's time on that clock, I'm fighting. I watched the World Cup yesterday. Yes, I actually watched soccer. Every four years, I kind of get into it. So I watched it yesterday. Germany was tied one-to-one with South Korea. And they give them this overtime, which I still don't understand how they figured that out. Just all of a sudden, a number pops up. And like it was 90 minutes, it's supposed to be the end of the game. And like, oh no, we have five more minutes. Anyway, I'm very American when I look at that. It should count down, not count up. I mean, there's a lot of things that make me crazy. There's like, I think, like, like a minute and a half left in the extra time. And Germany scores a goal and wins the game. It was really cool. It curved. And... But can you imagine that guy said, we're going home. Because if Germany lost that, they were going home. They were done. We're going home. We can't win. 
They gave us extra time. Let's work. Get around other Christians and have them encourage you with their testimonies. Nothing talks to victory like success. Nothing builds up your faith like hearing somebody say, you know what? I was, I was dealing with some stuff, man, and here's how God took me through. Now, by the way, one of the worst things you can tell to somebody is, I know just how you feel. No, you don't. You really don't. In fact, I read an article this week that said that's five of the dumbest, thing, five of the dumbest words we ever say. I know just how you feel. No, you don't. You haven't walked where I've walked. You don't know what I'm going through. Don't say that to people. But you can tell them, I've struggled with stuff too, and here's what God did in me. It doesn't even have to be the same stuff. I've never been there, but I know God's faithful because here's what he's seen me through. God takes us through things so that when we've gone through them, we can give that faith to, to other people. Share your testimony. Oh, but they don't want to hear. You don't know what they want to hear. You don't know what they need to hear. Open your mouth, let God speak, and share because you may be giving people the fuel they need to keep fighting. And then you need passion. You've got to focus on the good work you're doing. Because if you listen, to the, you listen to the discouragement, you see all the other stuff, it's easy to take your eyes off the goal. I like this in Nehemiah 6. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to hurt, harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I sent the same reply. I'm doing something important. I don't have time to stop and gab with you. The enemy will try to discourage and distract us. Don't give up building your family. You're engaged in an important work. Don't give up. You've got to have passion. You've got to decide that this is your all-consuming. Everything about you is going into this. I like, I like verse 3. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. I can't come. Sorry. Not sorry. I got things to do that don't include you. I'm building my family. I'm rebuilding a wall in my family, and I don't have time to listen to naysayers. And I don't have time to listen to, to people that are down in the dumps and, and are going to try and discourage me. I don't have time. And I'm especially not going to listen to somebody who's trying to harm me. How do you know they're trying to harm you? They're trying to take you away from God's work. When we're passionate about our homes, we won't let anything sidetrack us. Anything. Then you need to gather your materials. Okay? You got all your tools. You know what it takes. But now you got to have raw materials, right? You don't just build a house by waving a wand around. You got to go to the store. You got to buy cement and drywall. Well, so, what, so, what does it take to build a home? First of all, it takes love, acceptance, and forgiveness. 
It'd have been a lot easier if I'd left this one off. Because this is hard. Not only do we love them, because it's easy for us to love people, right? In that, you know, nebulous, like we love milkshakes kind of love. I love my wife. I love my car. Uh, wait a second. Those two things should not be together. I love chocolate ice cream. Okay, so? But when I say that I love my wife, that also means that I accept her and I forgive her. Accepting is the hard part. Because in our heart of hearts, when we think about rebuilding, what we really think is we're going to change them. We're going to somehow fix them. My wife had been married a long time. You know who I can fix? Me. I can't fix her. And Lord knows I've tried. And she tried to fix me. You know what she found out? It didn't work that way either. I have to accept her for who she is. She has to accept me for who I am, which is a lot harder task, I guarantee you, for her to accept me than for me to accept her. She's nice. I'm not. I've come to accept that. And there are places where I have to forgive her. And believe me, there's a lot of places where she has to forgive me. Again, probably the ratio was out of whack, but it is what it is. Because here's the thing. I hear people that, that are... that. Now, nowadays, everything's on social media. So, you know, if you're a star, you have to tweet out that you and so-and-so are never, not married anymore. But we're remaining the best of friends. We still love each other. We just want to live apart. I got news to you, Sparky. You don't love each other. Because if you loved each other, you would accept the differences between you and you would forgive whatever differences you had and you'd still be in the same house. Love and acceptance and forgiveness. Absolutely essential building blocks. In fact, this is where you start. You know, build a foundation for a home, this is it. Right on top of your faith with God. Because without faith in God, you're not going to do this. Next thing church attendance. You had to know the pastor was going to stick this in, right? Here's the thing. Can you, can you be a Christian by staying home? Sure. But, remember we talked about, about there's something about being in the family, being lifted up by somebody. How are you going to get that sitting at home? We, we stream the messages on Sunday mornings. And look, if you can't make it to church or whatever, or if you've got to be, hey, that's great. Watch the messages on, on, on video. But it's not the same as being here. It's just not. Your kids need to see that you're faithful to something. Your family needs to know they are faithful. They need to see that in you. Bring the family together to the place where they can grow in their relationship with God. And that's church.
Next thing you need is discipline. Nobody enjoys discipline. Proverbs 13, 24 says, A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. Nobody likes to be the bad guy. But if you don't discipline your kids, you don't love them. Pure and simple. I blew up my knee my freshman year of high school. I tore three out of the four ligaments. I ripped the ends of my bones off. It was pretty gruesome, actually. Then I had surgery. was in a cast. Then I went to physical therapy. And I hated that woman. She was mean. She, she didn't take no for an answer. They cut me out of the cast. My leg had been, had been straight for nine weeks. They cut me out of the cast. She says, bend your knee. And I tried to be bending my knee in the cast. It wouldn't work. I said, well, it won't bend. She said, no, it'll bend. I said, no, it won't bend. It's been straight for nine weeks. They just rebuilt it. It's all crunchy inside. She said, no, it'll bend. And before I knew what was happening, she put her elbow on my knee, grabbed my foot with her hand, and pulled it. And you could hear that noise. And I looked at I, I swung at her. I was going to hit her. <laughs> Evidently not her first rodeo because she got up, she, got, she backed up. That woman was brutal to me. She called me a sissy. She did. She yelled at me. She said all kinds of horrible things about me. You're not even trying. You're just weak. <gasps> I was a freshman in high school. She said, you're not even a man. (gasps) Get that twitch in your neck. And I knew I couldn't hit her because she was fast. I cuss at that woman. I would yell at her and cuss at her, say all kinds of mean things back. And my mom was never in the room. She was out in the waiting room, and she would hear somebody in the back saying things. She'd say, who was that? So I don't know. The guy in the next room was like really, really bad. But you know what? In college, I took a class on treating sports injuries. And for the first time, I really understood all the things that they did inside my knee to put it all back together. Honestly, I can remember sitting in the class and thinking, Wow. I should have loved that woman, not hated her. Because the way they put me together back in those days, I wouldn't have walked right if I hadn't been put through all those paces. Nobody likes discipline. Nobody enjoys it. But if you're ever going to walk right, sometimes you need it. Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Children. Children. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth because your parents won't kill you. I always add that last part because that's kind of in my heart. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, 
Bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. How are you going to know that you're going to be a good dad or a good mom? Because you're parenting God's way. How are you going to know if you're a good husband or a good wife? Because you're doing it God's way. It's important for us to live our lives, to build our homes God's way. And a lot of us have tried all kinds of other ways. We've read the book, Women Are From Mars, or Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. We watched Dr. Phil. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'll listen to you. We talk to our friends, we talk to all these other people, but God says, Here's the way you build a home. Here's the relationship you should have. Now look, I know that at any time we talk about the home like this, there are always people who have gone through, they've gone through divorce, they've gone through separations, they've gone through tough times. I get that. And I please do not take anything, we, me or Jeremiah, that we ever say as casting off on you. That is certainly not our position. We love you and we want you to be made whole. But if you have a chance to fight for your home, fight. Be passionate. Be loving. Be the things that God has asked you to do. And don't give up. If we want a strong and healthy family, we must build our family God's way. There's no way around that. If you're trying to build a way, any other way than God's way, it's not going to work. Some of you are young, you're going to start dating. Make sure that you're dating God's way. I'll throw this in for you. I, I, ask, a, I ask my youth group one time, how old are you when you're old enough to date? One girl said, 13. I said, no, that's too young. Here's Godsey's rule for dating. How old are you when you're old enough to date? When you can set a godly moral standard and stick to it. I know people that are 50 that aren't old enough to date. What's God's standard? I shall save this for another whole message. God's dating standard? I think we know what it is. Lynette used to deal with teen moms at social services, and she would ask them about birth control because she had to. It was part of the questionnaire. And they say, no, I can't take birth control. Uh, my religion doesn't let me. But they have two kids without any husbands. And she said, well, I, I, we talked about it. And I said, you probably tell them that yeah, I'm pretty sure your religion kind of says you shouldn't do the other thing either. That's just me. Build your home God's way. It's the only way it's going to work. All right? Let's pray. God, thanks. Lord, you are so good to us. And you love us so much. And Father, we struggle in our homes sometimes. They get broken. They get distance between them. And God, we don't know what to do. But you do, Father. And if we will just ask you, you will help us.
If we will build your way, God, things, you can restore things. Things that the world looks at as hopeless, God, you say, I know how this all ends. So God, I pray for every person in this room right now that you will help them build their home your way. Help us, God, to be who you want us to be. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you to make a very simple commitment this morning. Are you ready to build your home God's way? And maybe you're here and you don't have a home yet. Maybe you haven't started a family yet. Great. You get to get in on the ground floor. You get to start from the ground up. Great. Maybe you're here and you've eh, kind of made some mistakes along the way. You know what? God fixes that too. So right now, wherever you're sitting, just go to God and tell him, okay, God, I want to do it your way. My way hasn't worked. My way has been less than successful. God, I want to do things your way. You will be amazed at what God is able to do. Father, I pray for every home in this room that you will do something incredible. Thanks, Father. Thanks. Got to pray for those who've been hurt, that you would bring healing. That healing, God, that only you can do. Father, I pray for those who maybe have made some mistakes, that you will show them that you forgive them and how to keep from making them again. God, help us. Help us, Father. Thanks. Thanks, God. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Stand with me and let's sing this last song. All this week, I want you to look at ways that you can build your house God's way. You ever, you ever look, at a, look at something in your house and think, well, that's not right? You see something, maybe a picture that's crooked or something that didn't get put in right the first time? What do you do? Keep looking at it and say, nah, that's, that's really stupid that way that's done. You try to fix it. Try to fix it. So if somewhere along the line, some of this stuff, you didn't quite get to where you're supposed to be, start fixing. Get your tools. Get your materials. Get to work. Sounds simple, doesn't it? And it is. Love you guys. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us online at remnantchurchiv.com. You build a mighty fortress, 10,000 burdens high. Love is here.